The framework of business is completely different in the new normal. To explore culture as the strategy, we have to look in places we haven't before. Looking into company culture from the C-suite to employees and from Fortune 500 to startups. It's time to understand the human side of company culture and the new shape it is taking. This is the conversation on Culture Factor 2.0, and I'm your host, Holly Shannon. Hi, I wanted to share something with my community. When I started podcasting, I had zero experience, and over the past year, Culture Factor has grown. I wanted to replicate the success and create other podcasts, so I went about creating a step-by-step book that I could use again when the time came. But then I realized it should be for everyone because maybe you want to start a podcast for personal reasons or professional ones. The book is Zero to Podcast, and like the name, it's designed to help you go from your idea to iTunes. There are 12 easy-to-follow chapters. You can make it a reality in a short time frame and with little or no money, and it is for the technically challenged as well as the technically proficient with zero podcasting knowledge. It is coming to Amazon this January, and I hope you'll start your journey soon with Zero to Podcast and me, Holly Shannon. Nick Sharma is the CEO of Sharma Brands, a strategic initiatives firm working with a wide range of brands to help grow and scale revenue across digital platforms. Nick is one of Adweek's young and influential, a Forbes 30 under 30, and an investor and advisor to some of the fastest growing brands in commerce. His work with hypergrowth brands like Hint Water, Pill Club, and Judy has resulted in new strategies, milestones, and millions of dollars in additional revenue for the companies. He has a keen eye for sociological advancements in culture and a data-driven mind for what works and what doesn't in a rapidly changing environment. We live in a world where data is abundant, but what we do with that data is where Nick thrives. The balance between research, content, distribution, and unknowns is his juggling act. And today, we have Nick Sharma on Culture Factor 2.0. So welcome to Culture Factor 2.0, Nick Sharma. How are you today? Thank you so much. I'm excited to be here. I'm doing great. It's it's a little cloudy in New York, but it's a Monday, so I'm fired up and ready. Yeah, we we were all just saying how 2021 has really started off with a, quite a bang. It feels like a full calendar year has gone by in one week, right? <laughs> 100%. So I wanted to dive into something that, um, you know, I, I spoke of in, in the start of this in the intro, um, you're sort of a, a unique brand, Sharma Brands. And I feel like company culture is less about your team in-house. Uh, I know that you have an agile team that, that works really well. Um, but it seems to me that company culture is actually happening, happening amongst the relationships that you have with the brands that you help grow, that it becomes very intimate. Like you, you start with them. Um, I'll let you walk through this, that you start with them from pre-launch on and, and how that relationship evolves. But it sounds to me as though um, they rely on you as such an integral part of their team that the relationship feels um, almost like you are a company together for the period of time you work together and company culture is built within the framework of that. So I'll let you fly from there. Yeah, you know we um, we partner up with brands and and the ones that do start initially. You know I think we are definitely a huge part of the company culture, um, 
you know, we have brands that we work with in, uh, initially that will have anywhere from, you know, just the founder working at the company all the way to maybe four or five people. And, you know, my team is, is um, about 10 or 11 people, but we were probably three or four people in total that are, you know, always in touch with the brands we work with. And so, you know, whether it be in our Slack groups, whether it be over iMessage chains, Zoom calls, uh, email threads, the way that we introduce and represent them to vendors and other companies we work with, um, you know, it's definitely a huge part of the company culture. Do you feel then that, um, and if actually I'm going to ask you to walk back a little bit, can you share with us how the, how a lot of these relationships start? Cause brands reach out to you. You start at, at the very beginning stage with them, right? Like with right. pre-launch and can you walk us through like how that evolves, like how it may start there? Um, I think, um, you know, you said you take them through launch and so forth, but can I ask you to share with everybody how that relationship goes and, and how far it actually can go with a client? Definitely. I mean, <clears throat> you know, our sweet spot, I would say, is, um, is coming in to brands and helping them identify opportunities where there are, or, or areas where there are clear opportunities for growth. So, you know, we, we work with companies usually in three types, either brands that are pre-launch, um, you know, they come to us and, and they have a brand identity developed, they have products developed and, and ready to go. And they basically come to us and say, look, we've got this brand, we've got this product, um, we, we want to launch this, but we need your help because we, um, you know, while everything is good to go for launch, we need help generating buzz, we need help, you know, developing creative, building a website that is extremely conversion friendly. Um, and we are essentially looking to you for, you know, to be an outsourced CMO. The second type of companies we work with are companies that are, you know, pretty large, anywhere from 50 to 100 million in revenue, doing really well. And, and but they're, they've, they've also, you know, either identified an opportunity for growth that they're not sure how to, how to tackle, or um, they're kind of stuck at a spot. And so they'll bring us in to help them get unstuck. So getting stuck could mean, you know, they've, they've figured out that they, they have the ability to, you know, double their ad spend, but they don't know how to do it in a way that doesn't increase their acquisition cost. Or um, they've, they've grown through organic word of mouth and whatnot, but they're unsure how to deploy, um, you know, let's say a few million dollars in paid that don't do the brand a disservice by turning it into what may feel like a direct response brand. And so we'll come in and help them solve for those problems. The third type of brand, which, you know, was a big focus last year, were companies that are, you know, multi-hundred million dollar revenue retail companies that are now looking, you know, to go um, and, and get their direct-to-consumer presence online and flushed out. And so um, in all three cases, you know, we work with, we work with them pretty closely. Um, and now after explaining that, I apologize, I forget what your original question was. No, I was just trying to understand um, and to help the listeners to understand at all the different phases that you work with your customers and how that has, you, you actually develop 
a company culture with them in a way because you you know you start at pre-launch and you go to the end of the series a but then you might right. go involved later on as you sure. uh, you know ideate on, <laughs> on new ideas new products new verticals and and so forth so i i just was it seems to me that um you even though you might only be like an on-the-spot cmo um, you're creating a, a unique relationship. So totally. the culture is growing. Um, so I just want to understand, like, what is, is culture part of your strategy, maybe by accident? Yeah, I mean, culture is definitely a, a huge part of the strategy. I think, um, you know, like you mentioned, you know, Hydrant's a good example of a company where we, we worked with them from seed to the end of Series A. You know, I personally... Um, became very close with the two founders, Jay and John, and they almost became, you know, like family, you could say a little cheesy, but I think it's pretty accurate. You know, Jay and John and I still text pretty often or communicate regularly, but then even further than that, then, you know, they still live in our company Slack. So at any time, you know, we have, we have uh, channels with everybody we work with as well as with vendors. Um, and so it allows us to really develop good culture with, companies we work with or, or vendors we work with often. So for example, you know, there's an SMS company we work with closely called Postscript that we have a very good relationship with. And I credit a lot of that due to the ability that we communicate probably on a daily basis through Slack, you know, even if it's not necessarily for something that we need, it's just, you know, even something as simple as sharing something that might be mutually beneficial or, or just even saying hi. But, you know, with, with the cultures, with the companies, um, you know, Judy's a great example where Judy, you know, we've been a part of Judy since um, probably November of 2019, um, you know, aiming for a launch at the end of January. And we typically stay on for three to six months, but Judy was kind of a special case where there was such a good culture alignment between the Judy team and my team. Um, you know, my guess is that we'll be working with Judy and up until this, you know, the company um, exits in some capacity. And so um, there definitely are, you know, cases like that where we work with companies for a, a much longer time because the culture and the fit is so good and, and it becomes a winning situation for everybody. Um, and then even the opposite where, you know, we, for example, we, um, we work with a beverage brand called Barcode, which is launching, uh, I, I believe, mid or end of next month in February. And, you know, I've known the founder for uh, well over a year now, just by you know chatting back and forth and and seeing um, his progress kind of come to life. Um, but that's an interesting one where you know just kind of helping him here and there, you know, over a year pre-launch um, has then developed into something where he says, you know, we want to now hire your company to help us do the launch and execute the launch. Um, and so you know now we started working with them formally this month. But for the last year, it had just been, you know, basically my team and his team on a text chain or email chains, you know, helping out where we can, um, because I personally, you know, recognize the value that having a, a good culture like that or, or, you know, creating a good culture like that that's helpful and, and you know, favored towards founders um, will pay off eventually. And. In this case, it, it, you know, you could consider the payoff as, as working together or them hiring us. But I, I genuinely think that the payoff is actually going to be the, um, the um, privilege of working with them in a much longer capacity 
you know, through the launch and, and hopefully also to a point where, where he exits the company. Wow, that's a beautiful story, actually. I, I, I love how your partnerships have turned into really um, special relationships, not, you know, really sales and relationships and, and it gets said a lot, but it sounds like you're almost creating little um, micro families within the Sharma brands. Yeah. I mean, I, I, um, you know, anybody who knows me knows that I personally very much hate transactional relationships. It's not something that I, I like. And so, you know, even when, when people, um, you know, people want to work with us and it seems like something that is transactional or, or, you know, the, the, the team that that's hiring us or the founders or whatever, you know, they don't seem like people that we'd want to grab beers with in six months, you know, after finishing working together, then it's usually just not the right fit. I mean, my team is also so small that I have to be very cognizant as a leader, what kind of, you know, culture or vibes am I bringing into my company, right? Because we're going to now work with these companies. And essentially, uh, you could say, you know, if we're launching a brand, you could say it's like delivering their baby. And so we want to make sure that both from a, you know, from a, a, a business standpoint, but also just a culture standpoint, that we really like the people we're working with. We really love the products that they're bringing out into the wild. We really believe that the products that they're putting out are going to help you know, a lot of people. I mean, one reason I always tell people I loved working at Hintwater was because I felt like on a daily basis, I could help, you know, thousands of people kick their soda habit and get better every day. And so, and, and that was a big part of the culture there too. So I think for me, you know, coming out of that culture and, and, um, and just wanting to continue to help people, I think it's hugely important that when we work with brands or work with companies or even just, you know, even vendors that we work with, we make sure that their cultures, their values, their incentives uh, are, are very much aligned with ours, which are obviously helping the end consumer. Well, anybody who follows my show knows that I love Kara Golden from Hint because I had her on here. But um, it's so interesting to me that you are also protective of your team, that you want to make sure that there's going to be... Um, uh, a, that they'd be able to blend well and work well together and that it wouldn't damage your company culture by working with another team. Um, so uh, from a leadership position, I love that you do that. Um, I wish, you know, we saw that across the board. You know, a lot of people will will say things like that, like I always say for the optics, but it sounds like you're, you really are taking it to heart. Like you want to make sure that your team is protected. Totally. And I mean, you know, even for me, like the team, everybody that I work with are, are people I've worked with for a long time. And so, um, so, you know, personally, as a friend, I'm also very protective of, of who my team is talking to and that it's not, you know, making them upset or stressed or angry on a daily basis. Um, you know, I, I really want my team to feel like they, they are protected in the sense that they never have to work with people or work on things that, that they don't want to do themselves, or it's because it goes against their own internal values. Um, so I think, you know, that's kind of where a lot of that stems from. Do you, um, do you nurture your team to be more, uh, act more like a team or as intrapreneurs? Like, do you set them off on their own to, to grow individually or do you find that they thrive more as a team? 
Um, I would actually say probably more of the intrapreneurs. Um, and I say that because I think when, when I hire people, it's really about finding people who I think are also real hustlers. Um, you know, obviously working in a smaller team environment, it's hard for, you know, if you don't have somebody who's not an entrepreneur, which is also, you know, there's nothing wrong with that, but then you need the right infrastructure in place. So that person is also set up for success, right? So if you have somebody who's, who's very much an executor, but not maybe a self-starter, then you also need somebody who is that self-starter to then guide or direct that person. Right now, the way we've, we've set up the company is basically that, you know, everybody themselves is kind of an entrepreneur in the sense that they are self-starters. They do the execution work as well. Um, you know, we have, we have tons of, of check-ins and whatnot, you know, we're obviously on Slack and communicating at all times, but you know, Monday morning, we have a, a one big to-do list that we go through every week as a team. Um, tasks are basically, you know, assigned or people say, Hey, I want to work on that. And, um, and, you know, everybody just kind of gets started on it. Um, so I would say entrepreneurs, definitely. There's also a great, um, one thing I love is, is that the team is really good about saying, you know, I want to work on this or, you know, um, uh, we have, we have one girl here named Bailey who she loves working with Judy, which is one of our clients. And, um, you know, so she'll, she'll just come up with ideas and say, you know what, I'm going to do this or, Hey, you know what, maybe we need a website redesign. I'm just going to go ahead and design the site and I'll have you, I'll have a, you know, draft over to you by next Monday. Um, and so I think definitely we've created a, a good culture of entrepreneurship over here. You could say. That sounds amazing. Um, I love how they can take the lead like that. That's one of the things that um, it's kind of how I've rebranded this show because I really feel that 2020 changed a lot of things for a lot of companies and a lot of people. And um, I think that people are um, leading from very different places within the organization up and down. Um, and it's, it's very obvious now and acceptable. Uh, before, I don't think it was as much when we were in buildings that really um, created a visual hierarchy, you know, where you could see the penthouse at that top suite and nothing, you know, everybody was just like a soldier underneath. Right. Um, I think we're really seeing a difference now. And I, and I feel like actually 2020 uh, was the impetus to that. Just personally, I feel that way. Yeah. I mean, I, you know, when I was at Hint, I used to always say nine to five is when I work for my team. And then five to nine is when I get to do everything else that I needed to do. Hmm. That's interesting. I, I, you know, I have an idea for hint. I guess I can't really voice that here. I'm going to tell you later. <laughs> Cause I really like Kara. Um, so one of the things, um, I wanted to ask you, you know, in, in the intro, we, it, it's clear that data is where you thrive, right? You, you really love the, the world of that and it helps you to be very strategic. Um, I had uh, recently read a book by Rashad Tabakawala. I'm not going to assume that you read that yet, but you will, uh, yeah. calling Restoring the Soul of Business, uh, Staying Human in the Age of um, Data and AI. And in there, he does say that it is really important to use data um, as, as a tool. Um, but he also talks about um, 
you know, going with your instincts, like with your gut on a lot of things and not relying only on that. Like, and you strike me from the conversation that we're having that you're, you're very much of that divergent thinker. Like you're on, you're, you're looking down at everything. Um, and you're, you're taking the data, but you're also building in your relationship with the people, um, so that you can, actually activate the gut in a lot of your decisions. Um, I'm not sure I'm articulating that quite the way I want to, but um, I feel like you have your finger on the pulse of trends and zeitgeist because you're working so closely uh-huh. with your clients and seeing how you could grow them. Is that how you work or am I just riffing here? <laughs> no, that's definitely it. I think um, I actually think that one of the biggest advantages that we have is the fact that we are so plugged in. So, you know, relative to the things that we do. So when it comes to, you know, whether it be Facebook ads or when it comes to, um, you know, a good analytics platform, we're insanely plugged in to the sense that like, we talk with people from Facebook on a daily basis. We talk, you know, I've invested in, in a lot of companies as well, which also kind of creates a, a good advantage for us because we get first party access to the team members at analytics companies and, um, you know, different vendors, which give us insights that could then better help us service our clients. Um, you know, when it comes to influencer marketing and, and doing that well, it's because, you know, we have a lot of people that we talk to on a daily basis who are big influencers who can tell us the things that they like and they don't like about working with brands so that we can be better when we work with them on behalf of our clients. Um, you know, even same thing I would say with, with, you know, actually I would say it across a a lot of the things, you know, for example, we just lit up a, um, out of home test for Judy, which is an emergency kit brand. And we were able to do that because we're extremely plugged in with the media buyers at the, uh, out of home companies who are basically looking for a last minute fill. Um, and so, you know, it is, it is kind of an art and the science in the sense that you can't just have the skills and the tactical know-how. You also have to have the relationships developed and that culture built to where, you know, I wouldn't have gotten those billboards if somebody didn't reach out to me because of a, a prior relationship we had already developed. Um, and we wouldn't be able to make those billboards if we didn't have the tactical know-how. So I think a lot of these things require both. Um, but it also becomes an advantage for us because, you know, I think it's, it's also quite rare. It is. I, I think there are uh, people who drive down the road of data and there's people who drive down the road of just flying by the seat of their pants, using their gut, using their intuition. It's so great that you're able to do a blend of both and um, have the trust of your partners, your brands to allow you to, to behave that way. Um, yeah. So I think that's really great. So, so that actually makes me want to um, ask you what was going to be some of my, my last little, you know, throw down questions that are um, just give us a taste of you. But um, what trends do you see in 2021 in products or services? Um, well, I think that we are seeing um I think we're going to see a lot of more functionally beneficial, functionally relevant products in 2021. Um, you know, last year there were there was obviously the pandemic, which kind of you know put a damper on 
on on unnecessary spending, um, and and the purchase you know buying things that you don't necessarily functionally need or or don't actually make your your yourself or your life better. And I think 2021, you know, we're starting to see that there's a lot more companies that are coming out, which um, which which sell products that are functionally better or or help you out personally. For example, they could be companies that you know focus on you know better sleep all the way to focusing on family emergency preparation, to um, you know things like like barcode even which swap out the unnecessary sugars of a sports drink and, and supply you with things like coconut water and vitamins that actually help your body. Um, so I think one is, is definitely more functional, functionally relevant products. I think a second one is, is products that are more personalized to you personally. So companies like Levels, which allow you to understand what is actually relevant for your own health, all the way to companies like Pros which, you know, let you create cosmetic solutions based on, you know, your personal uh, hygiene, as well as, you know, down to your geolocation of a zip code. Um, and then I think, you know, another big category that's going to continue to grow is just the overall health and wellness category. So, you know, small startup brands basically fighting the big guys on what it actually means in America or globally to really be healthy, uh, you know, compared to what a lot of these larger conglomerates claim as healthy or natural or uh, safe. Um, so, you know, whether that be in companies like Hint fighting the big soda companies or companies like, you know, Supernatural and Blue Land fighting the big Windexes of the world, um, you know, I think there's going to be a lot of breakthrough in, in the health and wellness category. I actually agree with you, and, and I'm really happy to see that happen. I'm a bit of a health nut. Um, pre probably drives people a little bit crazy, at least people in my life. <laughs> yeah. But it's it's so nice. I always say I'm probably the worst person at a party because, like, I, I look at the soda and I'm like, oh, my God, you're killing me. Are we still serving that? <laughs> um, but, yeah. yeah I don't think I've had a, a real soda in, um, gosh, probably in about five years. Yeah. Uh, for me, I'm going to say it's longer. I think probably now, like, it's just like, like bubbly water that has the flavor of it is, is probably the closest thing I get to it. Yeah. Um, yeah. I think a lot of people have moved away from that. I think we're all looking at, um, you know, just taking care of ourselves better. Um, but I, I love how you, you see those trends because I'm all about the health, the health field. So any, anything growing in that area, I'm pretty happy, happy about, um, do you have a favorite product that you don't represent? Um, 100% I do. Um, let me just think really quick. Um, you know, I put one you on of the them, spot. Yeah, I would say one of them that I really love that, um, that I, I met the founders and instantly fell in love with the founders. Uh, and then I got the product and, and you know, loved the product is uh, it's called three ships beauty it's a canadian cosmetics brand they do everything from serums to face masks to lip exfoliators to cleansers um, the ingredients are incredibly high quality um, and and i'm just a huge fan of of connie and laura the two founders um, that's definitely one another one i would say that i really love is um, is probably Olipop. 
they're kind of creating these prebiotic uh, beverages, which are essentially soda alternatives. And their vintage cola, to me, tastes exactly like a can of Coca-Cola, but it's obviously, you know, not coming in with a pound of sugar. It's got, I think, two grams of sugar, and it's uh, it's got prebiotics in it. It's a, it's a really good beverage. Um, those are probably the two immediate ones that come to mind. And, th and then one last one that I think is really doing good work um, is called Birdie. It's essentially a personal safety alarm for women. So at any time you have this on your keys, if you feel endangered, you, you just basically pull this out of your keys and it, it sounds a really loud alarm um, to basically get all eyes on you. That's really cool. I, I'm curious, the beauty collection, is it clean beauty? Because I know that's all the trend. Plant, oh, it's 100% nice. plant-based and natural. Um, yeah, it's it's very clean. It's, uh, it's it's so good. The lip exfoliator is pina colada flavored. And a lot of times I just keep rubbing my lips together because it tastes so good. Um, <laughs> <laughs> and I've definitely swallowed some, but I can assure you it's very clean. <laughs> uh, I'm guilty of creating a, a lip exfoliator at one point in time, uh, yeah. but then I went down a different road. I, I think I'm um, I'm a serial uh, reluctant entrepreneur. I keep starting uh, some some things, but I never go to market. Yeah. Um, <laughs> so this is really great. I really just wanted people to learn all about um, Sharma Brands. I think what you're doing is really unique, and I love um, digging in and pulling out company culture wherever it's happening and however it's happening in its strange permutations in 2021. So I love that we are highlighting how company culture can live within partnerships. Totally. I mean, I think I think also, you know, we, we did a really fun collaboration um, we were working on the digital side for Poopery as well as for Judy at the same time last year. And we put together this fun collab called the Judy for your booty kit. Um, and it really came about because uh, I would say the, the culture between my team and the Poopery team was so strong that we, we could just riff on ideas um, and come up with wacky ideas. And then, you know, we brought the idea to the Judy team and, and that was also passed by them. And then we all got on the phone and there was just great alignment there, you know, culturally and, and how we want to treat our customers. Um, so, yeah, just another good example of culture leading to, you know, yet another successful collaboration. That's amazing. I'm, I'm actually going to end on that note. I'm not going to ask you any other questions. I think that's just a beautiful display of that. Nick, thank you so much for coming on Culture Factor 2.0. This was really great. And I'm going to uh, put in the show notes, um, you know, how to contact you uh, so that if anybody wants to work with you. Love it. Thank you for having me. You're welcome. <laughs>